0: Well, in a, mo- in a moment or two, I'm going to tell a story from the Word of God, uh, from the book of Genesis, right from the beginning of time. But uh, first, I just want to set that something in its scene. So I'm going to give a little, back- little bit of background to the book of Genesis. Then I'm going to tell that story. Then we're going to teach how that story fits into the overall plan of God throughout Scripture and then we will apply that to our lives today. So that's where we're going and then right at the end I'm going to read that Bible passage. I'm not reading it at the beginning uh, not because I don't regard it as the most important thing in fact that's why I'm reading it at the end but it's rather that if I share the whole background of it with you then when I read it I hope it will come with fresh power to you. So, it's, I'm talking about uh, relationship breakdown and reconciliation from this story. So firstly, just by way of introduction, the book of Genesis is a series of worldview stories. What do I mean by that? Well, The book of Genesis, though it talks about and shares what happened when the first humans were here created by God, actually it was written many, many years later by a man called Moses. Now Moses had led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt where they'd been for 400 years. And he, when he, did that, he needed to give the people a godly worldview, a way of looking at life, which, because that's what worldview is, it's how we look at life. Every different culture has a different worldview. And they had been in Egypt for 400 years, and so they had an Egyptian worldview. And we know that. Because when they'd come out of Egypt, the, um, Moses disappeared for about 40 days, and they wondered what on earth had happened to him. And so they made a, a god out of looked like an animal. It was a golden calf or young bullock. And that was what Egyptians did. If you know your history, you know the Egyptians of that time, all their gods looked like animals. And so the people of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, they still thought, even though they were worshipping God, the true God, they still thought in uh, in terms of gods like animals. And so Moses needed to write down for them what had been stories in oral tradition and various writings up until that time, which we now have as the book of Genesis, which was to enable them to think biblically. So, I'm going to speak about how conflict arises and how reconciliation comes. And that applies to each one of us, and therefore I'm going to tell a particular story from the Bible. If you want to follow this story, it comes from Genesis chapter 4. But don't worry, our read is at the end. Okay, so. Eve, Adam's wife. The last thing she'd heard God say was, your pain will be greatly increased in childbirth. Just imagine that. That was the last thing she'd heard him say before she and Adam were put out of the paradise garden in which they lived, the Garden of Eden. And the—and she was expecting her first child. She didn't have anyone to compare notes with, to talk to what it's really like. She didn't quite know what the pain would have been if it hadn't been greatly increased. But she'd been told, your pain in childbirth will be greatly increased. And there she was, about to give birth to her first child. As the child was born, she cried out with a loud voice, "Cain!" Which means, I've got one. I've acquired, it says in our translations, they put it more more politely. I've acquired, with God's help, a son from the Lord. Another man was born into the world. And that cry, Cain, became his name. Or Cain, as we say in English. And so, she'd had her first child. She trusted God to bring her through. And here she was acknowledging, with God's help, I've got a child. Later, we don't know how many years later. Because the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve, in those days before the flood, lived for many, many years and wasn't quite like conditions today and produced many children. We don't know what number the the next person I'm going to talk to you about was. We know when they'd grown up that uh, the earth had begun to be populated. And this other son was called Abel. We're not given the reason why he was called that. It wasn't a very attractive name to go around with. Because it meant breath or temporary. Yeah, I imagine. What's your name? Temporary. Oh, so you're not here for very long, okay? And Abel was was almost spoken prophetically about him. It's the same word that's used later in the Bible. Same root word that's used later in the Bible in the book that's a bit complicated to read, the Book of Ecclesiastes, where it keeps saying meaningless, meaningless, or vanity, vanity, and that was Abel. Well, later. The two grew up. Say Cain may have been many, many years older. We don't know. And Cain became a farmer of crops. Like his father Adam. Abel became a shepherd. One day. Both of them. Brought an offering to God. They still acknowledge God. And both of them. Brought an offering to God. Abel. Brought a firstborn sheep from the flock because he was a shepherd. Cain brought some of his crops. And the Bible tells us that God looked with favour on Abel, but not on Cain. Well, why? Actually, in the book of Genesis, we're not told. We do know, because Moses was writing this at a time when they were going through the wilderness... And we do know, because he wrote another book at the same time called Leviticus. And in that book, we find that both animal sacrifices and grain offerings or crop offerings were acceptable to God. And the Bible doesn't need to tell us. And uh, we need to read what it says rather than imagine. In fact, one of the things that we do in serving God and bringing the gospel to people that have never heard of Jesus before is we do what we call chronological Bible storying which is we take about 30 stories from the Bible which starts with Genesis up until the day of Pentecost in order to lead people to Christ and have them filled with the Holy Spirit. And a friend of mine was in a particular village situation once and he was telling he has got up and he'd done the creation, done Adam and Eve being cast out of the garden and came to this story. And they were sort of sitting around in the evening in this village. And he told this story and he asked, Qu- what comments do you have on this story? And the first question was, what does God have against vegetables? <laughs> okay, well, God doesn't have anything against vegetables, That's not the point of this particular story because the New Testament tells us why it was because God looks on the heart. You know, many of you have been generously giving in the offering already today. And God actually doesn't look particularly at the amount of money you've given. God looks on your heart. When you give it. And God does that when He bring offerings. And so, the Bible tells us, in the New Testament, it says, By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man. What, happened, what mattered was his heart of faith in trusting God and genuinely giving to God. Well... Cain got very angry because God had accepted Abel's offering, his brother's. Imagine that, you know? These two brothers. God says, Yeah, that's, that's good, Abel. But with Cain, he was not pleased. Cain got very angry. Not just angry, the term used for being very angry here is often used as a predecessor to murder in Scripture. But God spoke to him. He wasn't writing him off. He was still showing grace to him. He says, gave him an opportunity. Why are you angry, Cain? Why are you depressed looking? You can change. You can do what is right. You can repent. However, if you don't, he said, sin is crouching at your door. What does that mean? Well, again, it's another worldview comment because there was another worldview around at that time which was the Babylonian worldview and they said that outside every house was a demon crouching to try and get in and so you had to parts of the world still believe this you have to put things on your house charms and things to stop the demon getting in. demon is crouching at your door well God didn't speak about a demon crouching at his door But he said, sin, Cain, is crouching at your door. But you can, this is the good news, Cain, you can overcome it. There's no room in Cain's case for, I just couldn't help it, I just got so angry, I just hit out. No. God said, sin is crouching at your door, but you can overcome it. Well, Cain didn't overcome it. And he said to Abel let's go into the field meaning it was deliberate it was premeditated they went where nobody could see Cain attacked Abel and killed him God said God came to Cain again he was still giving him opportunity Cain where's your brother Abel now when God asks questions it's not because he doesn't know It's to help us, okay? So he said, where's your brother? And then Cain gave that what's become a famous answer now. Even in our everyday language. Am I my brother's keeper? Then, and this is important to remember this bit. God said, the blood of your brother Abel, is crying out from the grave, from the ground. Crying out. Again, crying out is a very strong word. It's used of people elsewhere in the Bible, people crying out because of starvation. Or the cry for justice of people who are being oppressed. And the cry for vengeance against enemies. Because at the time Moses was writing, What's called blood vengeance was the normal way in which things were sorted out. It was the norm in Old Testament times in the nations around Israel. In fact, what it meant was, if someone killed somebody else, then people of their family could kill them. The Bible tried to regulate it so that it wasn't as serious because it got very much out of hand. So if people hurt one person, then somebody else would kill two people from that family. That's how it was. And how it still is in some parts of the world today. And it's called the system of blood vengeance. The Bible tried to regulate it by saying it's only an an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words, don't escalate things. In many parts of the world where I go to, these things are still a problem. So people are taking revenge still for things that would have been done to their nation three or four hundred years ago. It's why it's so hard to get peace in certain places. Because of this system. Now, I met a pastor who led a church in a particular country. And he came under this because his uncle had killed someone from another clan in that country. And so that other clan marked out him as the person who they would kill. So he had to flee, had to leave his church, couldn't serve anymore, had to run away, came to England for a while. And after a few years he thought everything was okay so he went back to his town. I'll finish that story later. Okay <laughs> But that was what it was like. You know I have to keep you listening to the whole sermon, okay <laughs> Because this blood vengeance still applies in many places. Well, God, now I, I'd like two male volunteers to come and help me a moment. Okay, just quickly come. Okay, great, good, that's excellent. There's the advantage of standing in the front row, sitting in the front row. Okay, this way. Okay, all right. <laughs> okay, I want you, you're not Cain and Abel, it's all right. We're not going to have a fist fight at the top, okay. Oh, <laughs> don't, don't worry. You can be Adam, okay, and you're Cain, all right. Now, when God punished Adam, and this is important for how this story applies in the rest of the Bible. When God punished Adam, Adam was put outside the garden. This is the garden, okay? This is the beautiful side, all right? Adam was put outside the garden, and an angel was put at the entrance to the garden with a flaming sword. So that Adam couldn't get in to the tree of life. But Cain, it says, he was sent a long way away. Cain was sent over to the land of Nod. Go as far there as you can. Right over, right over, further. As far as you can go. Okay, that's what I'll do. Okay. Cain was sent, so... Adam was put just outside. Cain was sent to what's called the land of Nod or the land of wandering. He became a wanderer in the land of Nod. No peace. No home. Everyone against him. Threatened by people who would take revenge. You see, everybody, by that time the earth had been populated a bit. But at that time but everybody was one of Abel's relatives. (laughs) So Cain says, wherever I go, someone will want to kill me. Okay, you two can sit down, but I'll need you later when I show how this story works out in the New Testament. And it says God put a mark on Cain so that nobody would kill him. We don't know what that mark was. There's lots of theories, but don't worry too much about theories. But he was in the land of Nod, far away, and had a mark. A mark to say, nothing bad's going to happen to me. Now, one great commentator, speaking about that verse, says this about life today. Helmut Telliker said this, When the world, and this describes much of the world, when the world becomes fatherless, it becomes a weird and homeless place. And I'm driven into unending flight. Every tree, every milestone becomes a threat. So I try to charm away the weirdness with a charm that dangles in my car. Many places I go to, if I get a taxi, okay, they are charms dangling from the front. Why? Because something might happen. It's a mark. That might protect me. Might not. But it's at least something. That's what life is like. So I try to charm away the weirdness with a talisman that dangles in my car. Or I consult the stars, as many people do in this country. For some dodge by which to to escape being caught in my run of bad luck. Or I procure lucky numbers to increase my chances. And find out the dates and the times when I must be careful because they're unlucky times. This is the law of life in the land of Nod. Where the security of home is gone. That's what it was like. It's been like that in the world ever since. People say, something might happen. Must try and do something. Must try and protect myself. They're in the land of Nod. They've got a mark. Okay. Okay so what does this story teach us what does this teach us today well firstly what happens when you get offended what happens with offence the bible says do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother why did he murder him because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Offence will come. Here, Cain was offended by God. Not because God did anything wrong. But Cain was just offended. Did. I'm not accepted. Abel is. That's not fair. And I get offended. Many people live like that. It's just not right that happened to me. We can be offended by in other ways. Sometimes by other people who do better than us. Or are more popular than us. Or more prosperous. Or more fruitful. Or more godly as here. Or just circumstances just not fair. Or we can get offended when those we look down upon seem to do uh, better than us and get more out of life than we do. Or... People who hurt us, this wasn't the case here, but we get offended. And offence is a huge issue in the world today. How will we we react? Will it be with mercy or like Cain? People here who've been offended by things. And there's anger still in your heart about it. We say, well, we haven't killed anyone. No, this is what Jesus said. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to a judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, "rakar," which is sort of Hebrew swear word, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Anyone who's angry, who holds anger against a brother or sister, is like Cain, who killed his brother. Families, communities, can be split apart and banished to the land of Nod, if we don't handle offense well. So that's one thing it teaches us. How we handle offense things that offend us is it with anger or is it with mercy but it also teaches something much bigger than this it teaches us that now we have a better covenant you see the book of hebrews in the new testament contrasts the old covenant which could not forgive sin where the justice of an eye for an eye was permitted to the new covenant which we enjoy This is what the New Testament says, the book of Hebrews. You have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You, that's believers in Jesus, have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and, listen to this, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood... That speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This story is vital for understanding the whole scripture. When Abel was killed. His blood cried out. Revenge! Just like it's cried out all across the world. It's why, as I said earlier. It's hard to bring peace. They hurt us. Between families. Between nations. Revenge. But. When Jesus died on the cross. His blood cried out as well. And as his blood was being shed. And his life was ebbing away. He cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There's two bloods that they're crying out vengeance and forgiveness. Jesus' blood is crying out, Forgiveness, reconciliation, bring people back together, don't hold anything against them. And Jesus' blood is crying that out today. Forgive, forgive. And it brings re- forgiveness and reconciliation and healed relationships between God and man. We are brought close together. Through the blood of Jesus, he, God cries out, Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And as we come to Him in repentance and faith, we experience what it is, not to be banished anymore, but to be accepted and loved through the blood that cries out forgiveness. But that is intended to help relationships between people and between nations. This is a big gospel. Now the gospel we preach is not just how I personally can be saved, although that's a massive, wonderful part of it, but it's also how the message of the different blood is taken out into this world. So, between one another, bear with each other, and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Colossians 3 verse 13. The blood is crying out forgiveness, so our attitude is always to forgive anyone who hurts us. When offence is caused, the Bible says, don't take revenge, my friends. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written it's mine to to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Now, when one of our church buildings was seized in East Ukraine recently, for the sake of the people who hadn't been able to flee, we'd filled that building up with food. Andre wrote to me after this building was seized. He said, I don't know if my enemy is hungry. But praise God, we've certainly fed him. And for those who are persecuting us, we have filled our building full of food for their blessing. You see, God is putting the world right. God is not only saving individuals out of the world. He is saving people through the blood of Jesus to transform the world. You know, you talk, Jonathan speaking earlier about you being a blessing to this city. Yes, you are. Why? We see, could I have Cain and Adam again, please? Okay, Adam, yeah, Cain. <laughs> right, now, Adam being just outside represents now, when Jesus came, the Jewish nation. So you're an honorary Jew now, okay? God bless you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> and when Jesus came, There was a temple in Jerusalem as there had been for many years and as before that there was a tent when they were wandering around in the wilderness and this temple was a picture of a garden there were animals and plants engraved in it because it all goes back to the Garden of Eden Garden of Eden was the first temple where God met with men that's what a temple is and so every time the Jews came into the temple they would come up to a curtain, and that curtain said, "No further." That's the presence of God, that's the tree of life. But you, and on that pit, on that curtain, and you read about this in the Bible, was engraved an angel or a cherub with a drawn sword. You can't come in. You can't come in. As to the other nations. They were all in the land of Nod. The Jews were close. The other nations were in the land of Nod. And this is what the Bible says. You see, this theme of those who are close and those who are far off is taken up by Paul in the letter to the Ephesians. And this is what he says. He says, for those in the land of Nod, hello? Okay, you, you other nations were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in this world. But goes on to say something else. now, what I'd like. Okay, James over there, he's English. The English are far away from God in the land of Nod. Only the Jews were close. The English, far away. Now, I'd like perhaps about half a dozen, six representatives of different nations to go and join them. Shout out the nation you come from when you go. Go on, quick. Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe okay, in the land of Nod. Singapore, Singapore in the land of Nod. Sorry? Nepal Nepal in the land of Nod. Pakistan Pakistan in the land of Nod. Australia. Australia, I've just come back from there. Definitely the land of Nod. Okay. (laughs) Okay. They're all men. Don't you have any ladies from other nations here? Okay. You're from Barbados in the land of Nod. Any more? Okay, we can have a second Zimbabwe and that's okay. Let's Okay, go and join them. Anywhere else? America. America, yes, most definitely in the land of Nod. Far away from God. <laughs> South Africa, most certainly. Okay. And this is what this is how the Bible describes it. It says this. He, he came pre he came in Ephesians chapter two and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away in the land of Nod have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. For through him we both have access to the Father By one spirit. You see when Jesus died. Two things happened. This curtain was torn in two. But the Jews weren't to go in there alone. It says we both. That's those who are close. And those who are far off. And also in the temple. There was a wall of separation. Between different nations. And all those who weren't Jews. Weren't allowed to go through this. Wall it says. And it describes it as the wall of hostility. But, the Jew, when Jesus died, the veil, the curtain in the temple was ripped from top to bottom. And, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, run, 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 run. And together, all the nations of the world are reconciled to each other and run into the presence of God. Go on. No longer do they need a mark upon them, a charm to to keep to make sure something bad didn't happen. No longer stay hang around for a bit, okay? <laughs> just hang around for a bit, okay? Okay, just come in here. Okay, this is close enough. This is the presence of God, all right? But it says he came pre- to preach peace. To those who are afar off. They can now, the blood of Jesus cries a better word and says forgiveness to all these nations. But also, we now have a message of reconciliation. You can enjoy the presence of God and you're totally reconciled to each other. Okay? Just just show you're reconciled to each other. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what happens. This is the power of the Christian message. And God is putting the world right. And he's using us, you know, to enjoy the benefit of the blood of Jesus forgiving us. But enabling us to forgive everybody who's hurt us. And to bring reconciliation between nations that were previously at enmity. That is the gospel message. It brings reconciliation with God, reconciliation with my brother, and reconciliation between the nations of the world. And if a church gets hold of that, that is committed to us. The ministry of reconciliation. You understand? That's what we're about. That's why we want to build churches of many nations. That's why we want to go to everywhere where there's hostility to us and say, the blood of Jesus cries a better word and says forgiveness and reconciliation between the people of the world. We have a powerful gospel. God is putting the world right. It's not only you go to heaven when you die, wonderful, wonderful truth though that is. It's also, while you're here, you're here to transform the world and bring reconciliation in every circumstance. You bring reconciliation in your offices. In your factories. In your schools. Wherever you go. You never as a Christian. Promote division or enmity. Because. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word. The blood of Abel cried vengeance. The blood of Jesus. Cries forgiveness and reconciliation. God bless you. Thank you very much for helping me. You can go back to your seats. I'm almost finished. This this message Let's gonna go back to the seats I want you to listen to me very carefully right now. This pastor friend eventually went back to his hometown. I said, I'll come back to this story. After a while, everything seemed fine. But then, that other clan sent some people to him and killed him. At his funeral service, his widow spoke and she said this, that she's a follower of Jesus Christ and his blood spoke forgiveness. And she said, I want everybody to know that the blood feud between our clans, as far as I'm concerned, is over. We forgive those who killed my husband. And there will be no revenge at all from our side. This is powerful. Another friend of mine led churches associated with our family in a place called Dagestan. He was killed a few years ago. Remember he just I remember. One summer I was sitting in my office and just got this call. Our tour has been shot. Just after our leaders conference we used to hold every year in Brighton. He hadn't been there at that conference, one of his co-leaders was. He was there the previous year and he'd been in our home and spent time with us. And he was killed because he was a, in a mainly Muslim area was really seen as the Protestant church leader and again his wife at the funeral said I forgive all those who have killed my husband no revenge tragically in many parts of the world people who are Christians still engage in Revenge attacks against others. Brother Pervez here is a wonderful model of a Christian demonstrating unity. And so, let's remember, we have a message of reconciliation. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Let's pray together.